Well, you can talk about films with a philosopher's zeal, or measure them all by box office appeal. But for once in your life, be real. Welcome, one and all, to Be Real. Guys, it's your movie reviewing and reappraising podcast. My name's Chance Solon Pfeiffer. And my name is Noah Ballard. Noah Paz Ballard. How are you, buddy? I'm, I'm pretty great. Um, for those who, who aren't with us visually right now, oh, yeah. um, I just want to tell you that what I've brought to my side of uh, the show this <laughs> evening is... Uh, Pretty epic mustache, and uh, not much much else uh, on my face, save for the little soul patch under my under my lip. Yeah. So if you and if I, Noah's opinions sound like strangely slimy tonight, <laughs> that would be why. Want to tell him about the category, Noah? I would love to. All right. Um. So it all spawned from the inauspicious beginning of uh, in the land of women coming up on Netflix, right? Right, yes. And for some reason, this is a movie that I just, like, kind of go nuts for, for, like, really no reason. I remember in college asking you, like, why do you own that DVD? That's a very strange DVD to own. I kind of, like, I kind of, at least up until watching it this time with the Be Real Guys glasses on, uh-huh. um, I kind of thought it was, like, you know, one of those, like, goofy, like, introspective Garden State sort of movies. Yeah. Well, I just think it's just an interesting piece of film trivia that the guy who directed In the Lands of Women is the second bro- uh, uh, second son of Lawrence Kasdan, the guy who's like famous for writing Empire Strikes Back and Raiders of the Lost Ark. Mm-hmm. And the the other brother is also a film director. So you have like a father figure and two sons all directing like pretty like I would say similar commercial fare. Yeah, like they're not terribly artsy people. No. They just happen to be like working studio people, you know, like the Frank Capra one, two, and three kind of thing. I think you're totally right. I would say that I mean, if people uh, some of Lawrence's other claims to fame uh, when it comes to writing and directing would be the Big Chill. Uh, Big Chill's great. Accidental tourist. Didn't we decide that that was like pretty good, good, oh, and also like a marker for good, absolutely good? Absolutely, we did. Um, but I was telling my buddy Dan about this podcast, and he was just like, "So Lawrence Kasdan, you'd say he like strove for like pretty good middle brow, and I would say that that's like a good description. Like that's what he's going for. The dialogue is often smart, but the premises are pretty simple. The characters are like vivid, but it's really it's commercial fare, like you said. He's like what Paul Schrader like wishes he was. Oh Nicely done. I would say, having seen a lot of his movies, like, just the direction of them, like, he's so good at casting. Definitely. He, like, has people in mind, and you know that he probably had, like, William Hurt in mind when he wrote Body Heat. Yes. If we're going to get into it, which is his first movie. So the category tonight is the first, like, major work of uh, these people. The trio Kasdan, yeah. The trio Kasdan, the family Kasdan. So we're going to start with Body Heat, Lawrence Kasdan's directorial debut. Mm-hmm. That we're, we're gonna move. I think we need to start there because there's so many callbacks from like dad stuff to oh, kids stuff. Oh, hundred percent. Yes, I agree. 
So we'll start there, and then maybe in chronological order, we'll go Jake Kasdan, and I think his like breakout movie was Orange County. Right. So we did that one, and then we did uh, his other son, Jonathan Kasdan's breakout movie debut, directorial debut, which was uh, In the Land of Women. Right on. Right on. So, Body Heat. This came out in like 1981. Yeah. Uh, so you can really think of it as like a forerunner to movies like Fatal Attraction. Fatal Attraction, Basic Instinct, Basic Instinct Disclosure. Um, but I think because this is such a loose category, I'd like to ask some questions up front before please, we get go into ahead. it. Is that what do these Kasdans like? What are they trying to say with these movies? Like now that they've been given sort of like the go ahead to make a big breakout movie. Like, sort of left to their own devices, big studio money behind them, or decent studio money behind them. Like, what What are you going to say? I would say, that, I don't know, they're all sort of, like, just heightened social realism. Right. I, especially with the boys, like, an artist's place in... Because that's the kind of family they were raised in. Like, an, yeah. like an artist's place in their relationship of... Uh, oh, the idea of, I am a writer. Commerce. You yeah. do not understand what it is to be a writer. All that, at the same, well, both of the at, kids' movies have like that moment. At the same time, is like you couldn't call any of these like particularly pretentious. Well, that's the thing. That's the family trait. Is they're all pretty inoffensive. I would say. So let's get into let's get into body heat. So in, in the casting too. So you have William Hurt playing against Kathleen Turner in this mm-hmm. erotic thriller about this like deadbeat lawyer who picks a beautiful w- woman out of a crowd and like he like rolls the dice and it's like she's hot. I'm gonna like make a move at her and then like she destroys his life. Yes, pretty much because like he can't. He's so physically drawn to her that he he'll give up. He's given up everything to be with her. his ethics. His like moral code as a human, and he just like he wants this Kathleen Turner. Yes, and so they, much like uh, Double Indemnity, they their love. Um, it turns out that she's married, and so their love is like it. It pushes them in the direction of well, we're gonna murder my husband and take all the money, and everything's gonna be great. But like, of course, it's not great. I'm a married woman. Meaning what? Meaning I'm not looking for company. You should have said I'm a happily married woman. That's my business. What? How happy I am. And how happy is that? You're not too smart, are you? (laughs) I like that in a man. What else do you like? Lazy? Ugly? Horny? I got them all. You don't look lazy. (laughs) Like a movie like Fatal Attraction or Basic Instinct, it, it sort of like puts forth this the trope of the genre that like the sex is so hot that it like makes them insane. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Well, that's sort of the weird. And what I like think is incredibly good about the writing of this movie is that like the setup to it is so good is the setting. They're in like fucking humid, miserable middle of like a South Florida summer Mm -hmm. in like this sort of, you know, suburban, uh, like subset of Miami, right? That's sort of boring, and it's just hot. And everyone has like sweated through every piece of clothing they own in every single scene. <laughs> like someone, like people are just like just drenched in sweat every yes. scene. And then so you have this going for it, and then like this erotic romance begins, and then they're like even more like 
damp and like wet all the time. It's so like it's so hot, like in every sense of the word. Like watching yep. this movie makes you feel warm. Definitely. I mean, I like that kind of movie. I like the idea of like a um like do the right thing. Obviously, totally different movie, but that right. setup, that setup that like it's so hot and every single person has to deal with this and you can't escape it and sort of like the impulses of your life are all affected by it. Like it's right. a good thing to have in the setting. Right. Cause it's like, it sort of gives you, you can, you know what it's like to be just like really fucking hot. Yes. And it sort of excuses a level of behavior that otherwise like wouldn't fly. You have right. like this moment of like sort of a moral holiday. So let's talk about the relationship and especially sort of like the kindling of the relationship between uh, Ned Racine and Maddie Walker. It's it's unbelievably well written. Like the, the banter's unbelievable. The, the banter's unbelievable. Like Ned Racine is like this sleazy guy, but like for some reason he's just so clever that you're like, I'll let that one slide. And yeah. Kathleen Turner like matches him like but like in a different way mm-hmm. on a different level like she's playing such a bigger game and he is like such a fly like around her that she sort of swats at until yeah. she like finds a purpose for him but she and, likes his particular frequency of buzz right she finds mm-hmm. him like a music yeah and yeah, and then so like the, let's talk about like the the moment you know where they go from flirting to just like fucking like not even like making like just fucking like yeah he so the scene is this he, he, she like cock teases him and like invites him over to the house and then she's like actually no like I'm married like you got to get out of here like you invites saw those wind to see wind chimes to see the wind chimes. And then, you know, he sees the wind chimes and he, like, kind of makes a move again. And she's like, nah. And then, like, she, she, he leaves. She, like, shows him the door and he leaves. And then, like, he, like, gets to his car and is like, Ugh! And then goes back to the house. The doors are all locked and she's just standing there, like, in, like, the vest, in, the, like, the foyer, just, like, with one light on her and he's just like trying to get in desperately because he desperately wants this woman he picks up like a planter throws it through one of the glass doors and then just like violently makes love to her well okay and if what you're describing by the way sounds like uh not up to our code of sexual politics like that is also like quintessential in this genre this idea oh, 100%. that like that she was just like sort of like standing there like waiting for him like this is all it's all part of but she's just fucking with him yeah if you're gonna make like it's all her but she's in control of all of it like that's a psychosexual game (laughs) it is a psychosexual game yeah but like i feel like it passes all of like the like checks of 2017 because especially because of the ending oh yeah yeah like like ned is not dominating her and like any sense of the word not in the slightest so kathleen turner is is great in this she plays a very like old school kind of like femme fatale but like with an 80s like liberation sexually to it but she's also like sort of like aware of the femme fatale um trope in an interesting way like the scene where like she turns she's been turning down everyone at the bar and she invites him over and he's like 
well, aren't all these people that you've said no to drinks from going to be jealous? And she's just like, oh, I, I don't know. And he's just like, well, it seems like I've been having a good time, right? And she just slaps him right across the face to like yeah, hide the fact that they're leaving together. Right. Um, like there's a good, it's a good use of the trope by the script and the character. And then right. William Hurt's, the kind of masculinity that is William Hurt is unbelievable. The, William Hurt in this movie, so masculine that he makes Ted Danson look like Dustin Hoffman. Right. Yeah. He makes Danson look like the goofball sidekick. The man so, who played Sam Malone is like... Yeah. So he's like... So, uh, Ted Danson plays this... Like the other or the other lawyer. Yeah. He plays like the state's attorney or whatever. And... Yeah. And um, William Hurt as uh, Ned Racine is a defense attorney. Or just a lawyer. Just his and William Hurt's very specific kind. Of, I mean, he looks like a like a sexy cartoon caricature of a cop from the '80s, and then like the way he talks, the way he flirts is so specific. We were texting about this line yesterday, so he has some great lines. Like at one point, he says, "I need tending," um, <laughs> which is like an insane thing to say. But then at one point, she sort of like. Um, can you remember what the setup is? But she like puts forward like a dumb sort of line that like a barfly would use on her, and he goes like, "Oh, I would never talk like that." Oh yeah, so he, uh, she's talking about that she runs a little hot. Oh yeah, that's the other thing in the movie is that her body temperature is like four degrees above normal body temperature. Right, but she says to him, "I usually am like around a hundred. I run a little hot." And he says, maybe you should have your engine checked. Or maybe you need someone to check your engine. And she says, what do you mean? Like, you've got the right tool for it? And he says, I would never say something like that. <laughs> like, it's incredible. Or I don't he's, talk that way. He's such a specific kind of sleaze. So then, what do we think about this movie in terms of its thriller aspects? Well, it's got like a really good noir in it. When they decide to kill the husbands... And then how it all like goes to shit. And then, but like, what I love about this movie is that like Ned's trying to keep it pretty chill, like through the whole thing. Yes. Like he, but that's sort of what I love about this movie is that fatalism that it has. Where like Ned signed up for this. Like he's not tapping out. He's like, nope. Like I wanted to do this. Like I was in. Like, you know, we didn't quite make it work, but like I'm in. And I like that even as it's sort of like as sort of like the genre electricity takes over yeah. that like Kazan never loses sight of the characters. I think that's, you could say that about what you were just talking about, but there's the great line where the husband gets out of bed and he pulls the pistol out in the middle of the night. And Kathleen Turner goes, I've never seen that as if to like, which is like such a telling line. Like she's not like, where did you get the gun? But like, I've never seen that as in like, you're hiding something from me and oh God, the plan could be fucked. Right. Like the dialogue, even as sort of like the momentum is picking up is still phenomenal. Yeah. That's what I like about this movie is because like once it gets past a certain trope point, it's sort of like unfolds haphazardly sort of in a realistic fashion. Like it has that sort of like end of gone girl kind of thing where it's like, uh oh, like you're lying to protect this other lie, but that's kind of like screwing you right now. Yes, making it to like a total house of cards. Right. So if we're getting to it, like maybe we state our opinions about this movie. Yes, let's do it. 
All movies and most of life can be described with our rating system. The four categories are good, good, bad, bad, good, bad, and bad, good. The first good or bad refers to intellectual quality. The second is pure pleasure. Good good is easy, things that make you feel smart and happy, and that for both reasons you'd want to do again, like watching The Departed or Jaws or calling your pal to do a podcast with him. Good good movies make Noah say, Love that. Bad bad is easy too, things that bring you neither stimulation nor joy. Basically, you just wasted your time. Things like watching White Chicks or Wild Wild West, a conceptual double album of Christian pop punk. Bad bad movies make Chance say things like, I hated that. Good Bad, then, is something you recognize as worthwhile, but not something you enjoy. Schindler's List, Requiem for a Dream, most classical music, eating your goddamn vegetables. Good Bad is about being an adult, and these kinds of movies make Noah say... I mean, I'm glad I saw it once, but never again. Conversely, Bad Good is for your thoughtless inner child. It's Cheetos, it's late career Billy Joel, it's movies like Christmas Vacation... Honey? Kids? ...and Deep Blue Sea. Bad good movies make chance say, but it failed in such an entertaining way. Got all that? Now buckle up, because you're about to hear an opinion stated as fact. I think it's a pretty clear good good. I think if you're looking, f- the most memorable part of this movie is not the twist, because if you're just keeping track of the characters, you can see the twist coming right. from a long way away. I think it's like fairly obvious, but the execution on the way. Um, is is great and got again. It's just it's so hot. Like the specific the way that they interact sexually is like awareness of like the human body and like where things are in the human body. That is not like some creepy like pervy director was like, what if they did this? But was rather like, all right, actors, you're both actors who've had sex. Like what like what do you think would be hot to do in like a middle shot? Yeah, I'm going to agree that it's good, good. And and for me, like, what makes it, like, without a doubt, like, no, this is a spoiler alert for our own podcast. This is, without a doubt, the best movie of the three. So. <laughs> without question. Without question, the best movie of the three. Um, but I think what's so good about it and what all these movies sort of struggle with is the sense of place this movie is set in South Florida. No like, doubt. There is a very specific, you know, social hierarchy, like, in play in this town. And it's South Florida, so he's, pr- like, the rich husband is, of course, like, maybe tied to organized crime, though it's not even said. And then there's also the play when he's like, oh, where did you go to law school? And he's like, oh, I went to FSU. And he's like, oh, that's a good school. Mm-hmm. Like, there's that play between, like, sleazy working man and sort of sleazy businessman, like white collar sort of versus blue totally. collar in this sense. And that's so specific to the regions too. And it just felt like very, like it just, it knew the story in this place. And that's what makes it so rich. Even if it's like a pretty, it's a pretty like predictable movie. Yeah. I think about things like J.A. Preston plays the detective, his hat yeah, like the most Florida detective hat, or the fact that William Hurt uh, has all these scenes of jogging down piers, right. and then at, at the end of like the pier he smokes, which is very funny after like right. out for a run in short shorts. But yeah. yes, and then he's got like the cool car, but it's kind of a beat up cool car. So where do we go from here? Because this uh, level of hotness. 
yeah. we're about to, we're about to replace it with um either cu- with cute with cuteness and grossness. I think we start in order of brothers, so we can okay. start with Jake. But like one fun, yeah, one fun piece of trivia before we get there, Chance. Did you know that the two kids that Kevin Klein is giving a bath to in the beginning of the Big Chill are Jake and Jonathan Kasdan? I did not. Yeah. How about just that? thought I'd throw that out there. Well, now I've got her to the grapevine playing in my head. All right. Let's get into Orange County. My name is Sean Brumder, and I live in California in a place called Orange County. I was just another Orange County surfer, carving waves, playing volleyball. But there's more to life than extreme sports and partying. I want to be a writer. Rhythmically wonderful, I would say, opening montage. You find uh, Colin Hanks, um, whose name is uh, Sean, is his name, um, who's been like a surfer, kind of like a surfer slacker stereotype all his life. Uh, He's on a beach one day and he finds a book. Straight jacket. (laughs) That's amazing. He finds a book uh, Marcus Skinner. By Marcus Skinner, yeah. (laughs) Called Straight Jacket. Um, and it and he reads it fifty two times. Yes, uh, sort of in conjunction with his friend dying in a surfing accident. That's played for comedy, so like, don't think that there's actual. Like, right. Well, that's like the weird. Okay, keep going. He decides, I want to be a writer. I want to apply to Stanford, and I only want to apply to Stanford. His guidance counselor at school, played by Lily Tomlin, is like, "You're a shoe in this. Uh, this letter." Um, your, your application is so good. You sent your story to Marcus Skinner, who's a teacher at Stanford. That's why he wants to go there. Um, you don't even need to apply to any safety schools. Like, don't worry about it. And so the sort of the standard plot of the movie opens with him waiting to hear if he's gotten into Stanford and his home life is his mom is played by Catherine O'Hara. His very deadbeat brother is uh, Jack Black. And, and they've sort of like, uh, di- uh, Catherine O'Hara has divorced his dad, John Lithgow, who's sort of like a distant father asshole who's talking on bluetooth um and she's apparently like married this like 90 year old man who's in a wheelchair (laughs) just for the money so they live with him they live with bob um and he's waiting (laughs) and and colin hanks is waiting to hear if he got into stanford yeah so what i what, what troubles me about this movie is like the trouble i have with a lot of mike white movies and mike white is the screenwriter in this one um is that I never know if Mike White is playing for comedy or for drama. Mm. And the way he takes, it, it, depending on who the director is, whether I think like Richard Linklater with uh, School of Rock maybe did the best. And then there's also that movie Good Girl with Jennifer Aniston and Jake Gyllenhaal, which is sort of like they play that more for drama. Like th- this movie and Good Girl sort of balance each other out weirdly because this one is like everything's funny, including like really sad shit. Right. Like his friend died. Like a kid he grew up with died, and it didn't seem like anyone dealt with it emotionally. No. And then he's like has a horrible home life. His mother's like a raging alcoholic, and his brother is like he's on, into like pills. Like he's not even drunk. He's like into like hard, serious prescription drugs. Taking the old man's pills. He's taking Bob's pills and, like, and Bob's like, Bob's like a vegetable at this point. Yeah. And then, you know, like the father Glithgow's like left them to like sleep with the a woman he met at the gym that That's he has like a kid with now. Yeah. It's it just, it lacks a certain like charm to it. Like it's pretty bleak. 
And, like but the movie life. doesn't know it. But the movie doesn't know it. You yeah. know, this is not like Nancy Myers' Los Angeles, like, upper-class white people living, like, weirdly. Like, this is more of a... This reminds me more of, like, Napoleon Dynamite sort of sad. It kind of reminds me of Election. Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, Just with, like, the sheer energy and the constant... The thing this movie does over and over again is, the very, like, the close-up reverse shots. Like, something happens and, like, we, like, hang with someone's exasperated face... Um, uh. it's got that sort of, uh, uh, that rhythm and that visual style to it. And yet a scant 77 minutes, there's not a lot of like depth or B plots or anything else. Right. Like, working there's here. no B plots no, other none. than like, other than like the, like the problems of the other people. Right. Sort of the issue of its brevity too, is like you start in this montage and you think you're like really going to find out like what it means to him to be a writer and then it sort of ends up becoming like just a goose chase movie where they like have some like big donors from Stanford over to the house to try to convince them to to let him in because he doesn't get in. Did we say that? He doesn't get in. Yeah, he doesn't get he's in. He's horrified. Um, and then they the family scares off those people with their terrifying behavior and Jack Black wandering around in his briefs. Um, yeah, so the, yeah, the, with the grandfather who's like on the board or whatever. Yeah, and so then they like go to Stanford and they uh, like try to talk to the dean of admissions. Like go at like ten o'clock at night. Harold Ramis. So you know what I mean? Like it's the setup. It it sets up something bigger than it is. Right. Well, it's a movie. It's a movie really like without a climax. Also that. Like, what I think is interesting about both this movie and, I would argue, In the Land of Women, both sort of lack what a narrative, like, person mapping a narrative would call a climax. <laughs> it's sort of like they do all this, all this crazy shit happens and then, you know, some artificial thing is, like, thrown into the mix and, like, it's tied up neatly. Mm-hmm. And then his big moral question is like, well, whether he actually goes to Stanford and embraces his white privilege or he just like stays in the OC and embraces his white privilege with like the same people. Because that's like the weird, that's the thing the movie is saying, right? Because when they're at Stanford, he like sees the girls dancing to the same um, butterfly song, Butterfly by, what was it? What's the band called? Oh, I can't remember. Come my lady, come, come my lady. Right. Um, and it's the same. It's the same shit. No, I really enjoyed this. You know, I never seen it before. I hadn't seen it since me. it came out. Yeah, I maybe saw it on Comedy Central twelve years ago. Oh, it's ripe for Comedy Central, like after ten o'clock. Yes, um, like a Saving Silverman type. Oh, it is <laughs> definitely in that Saving Silverman milieu. I think you point out like good things about the narrative and its problems with levity. I want to give a shout out to, uh, you know who I think kind of saves it. Who's that? K- kind of, is Skylar Fisk, the girl, his girlfriend. Interesting. Who? who Isn't it Schuler Fisk? Oh, Schuler. Sorry. Really did not act very much ever again. But what she has, she, I think well, without she's her, the daughter with, of Sissy Spacek. How about that? I didn't. Yeah, know that. did you not know that? No. Shout and Carlton out. Fisk, former Red Sox manager <laughs> Carlton Fisk. No, some like production right. designer or something. <laughs> it was a boring day on the set. <laughs> um, I think without her, the movie is like a 
silly goose chase to the end. But she plays that character with she it's like almost forgettable, but she reminds me of like very real people while everyone else is playing uh, right. these sort of like uh, you know, crazy tropes. And right. so when the movie sort of turns back to her and Sean is just like, oh wait. I have been sort of maniacal about this mission and I've completely forgot this like very nice girl who's like been in my life the whole time. I think Schuler Fisk is like the only thing that keeps this movie on the ground. All that said, it's probably bad good. It like doesn't quite have the heart of like a 10 things I hate about you and it doesn't quite have the intelligence of like an election. Like, you don't love these characters, A. Like, that's what I think the, the movie's problem is, that you don't really, other than her, maybe. Like, yeah. Colin Hanks is kind of, te- like, a terrible person. in, And they don't really play it so far enough that he becomes, like, Chris Klein, where he's just, like, dumb. <laughs> Which they easily, and, like, gave him, like given him the, because he gives him those voiceovers, the movie does. Um, yeah. But they're not, like, satirical enough. They're, like, very earnest but then you don't love him, so it doesn't work, I don't think. So I think fundamentally, yeah, it's a bad good. It's like yeah. a pretty inoffensive way to spend, what, 77 minutes? That's so short. I looked at this as like, uh, thank the merciful other side of the coin of our category. This is a sitcom episode compared to like silence. Well, and you know what? We got to say that the other thing, it's not surprising to me that Jake Kazan has found Going to make new girl. Yeah. Doing new girl and uh, fresh off the boat and like working in television with just like these very snappy, bright colors. Ooh, this is the setup to like a season of television or like a yeah. pilot. Like this could be an interesting pilot. Totally. But I just don't think it really doesn't have like the legs to be a full movie. Yes. That's a great point. It's an interesting pilot that accelerates way too rapidly and then it's over. Yeah. At this point, I think we have to talk about the the gift that Lawrence gave both of his sons as he sort of set them out into the filmmaking world. Can I? Can we talk about that? Sure. My sons, as you grow into adults, the one thing I bequeath you is you'll always have the cast of The Big Chill at your disposal. Oh, 100%. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, Kevin Klein appears as the author, as Max Skinner at the end of this movie. And Chevy Chase is in this movie for one scene. That was... I've totally forgot about that. <laughs> and Lily Tomlin's in this movie for two scenes. This movie like has clearly like a lot of Lawrence Kasdan's friends in it for one scene, or something they could shoot over one day. Shall we get to In the Land of Women? Let's do it. Another high school film. Another film about a young man trying to find himself. Yeah. This movie is so questionable in so many ways, and we'll in probably so get to that ways. almost instantly from like when we get to the plot. Yes. Why don't you set so, it up since you're so familiar? Oh, I've I've seen this movie like maybe ten times. I would. And say. And again, this is on Netflix, by the way. This is on Netflix. Um, you'll decide after we talk about it if it's worth watching. Right. Um. So the setup is this: uh, Adam Brody, who is a softcore porn writer, uh gets dumped by his like hot sort of international actress girlfriend. All I know is that I need a space. I need you to give me that space. I want to give you all the space you need. I just, I don't want you to break up with me. I just want to get out of LA for a while and get away from my life. Hi, grandma. I can't believe I'm still alive. 
Hello. Hi. I made some cookies. They look a little bit like Fig Newtons. I didn't so much as make them as wrap them in plastic and put them on the plate. <laughs> He's basically alone over there. Just take him to a movie. Do you have any idea how lame that would sound? And then he goes to non-specific suburban Michigan, and he like hangs out with Olympia Dukakis, who plays the grandmother, and then makes really inappropriate sexual advances on people, two people who were like way not people you should be making sexual advances on. Mm-hmm. And they happen to be mother and daughter. Yes, Meg Ryan and Kristen Meg Stewart. Ryan and Kristen Stewart. And the daughter from Family Man as the younger sister, and then goddammit, Clark Gregg as the cheating father. Let's talk about what's what's maybe like bad about this movie, since we're already there. Do you have time for all those things? Um so the movie doesn't have a plot. That's that's the first thing that like makes it tough. But what the movie does have is like a little bit of that Kazdian. It is the Kazdinian like, not all of them land, but he's quippy. And, like, Adam Brody can do a lot with a line. Yes. You know, he can make his like his voice sound, like, really, like... like Everything you sorry. loved about Seth Cohen. And then, like, Kristen Stewart's, like, not a bad actress. No. But I tell you who can't carry a movie in, like, for some reason... Not in 2007. Like, in this... Not in this... 2007 and not in this role like she's not inherently she's supposed to be likable like it's supposed to be a meg ryan character but for some reason meg ryan like doesn't play it like a meg ryan character so she's like not that likable and then also like doesn't give a very good performance yeah you need someone who i i think you need like a katherine keener and 40 year old virgin like someone who oh, is like 100 like self-possessed enough on their own to know that they're making a mistake but will do it anyway and meg ryan just doesn't have those layers to her no she's just like totally down to like do whatever and like it's pretty blatantly you know flirting with 26 year old adam brody right and then, like, is very upset, of course, like, when Adam Brody... Sorry I spoiled it for you. Chance, Chance and I were texting while we were uh, simultaneously watching this movie. But I was a little ahead of you. Right. So I ruined the uh, I ruined the big twist for you, which is that he makes out with both Meg Ryan and Kristen Stewart, all, both on their front fucking lawn. It is the only possibility. I mean, it was the only thing that could happen, but I don't there see why There was nothing else to, to happen, happen. In the of the street. Well, let's throw this out here then. I think if any of these movies is just like almost blow for blow autobiographical, it's probably this one, right? Yeah, because weren't John and Jake born in Michigan? They were like born in Michigan. Um, Their grandmother probably lived out there. (laughs) Like he probably went through a breakup with what he felt like was... You know, some actress that then went on to, like, date another actor or whatever. And then, like, spend some time. Like, I feel like if if that's what, if Lawrence Kasdan was saying, you know, he wanted to make, a like, a an R-rated movie with Body Heed. And, like, Jake Kasdan wanted to say, like, it's okay to make, like, a cookie-cutter sort of election spinoff set in California. And I'm okay with my life, like, living out here and, like, just embracing these norms. Uh, what I believe John Jonathan Kasdan is saying is uh, maybe I made out with someone's mom one time, but like it's not that big of a deal. Can I punch the punching bag of the sense of place a little bit since we complimented that with body heat? Oh my god, do it! Um, 
my fundamental problem with this movie is that it's one of those movies where like a Hollywood type tries to like he talks about so like tell me about like John like the John Hughes of it all like he's looking for sort of that like suburban middle class uh like breadbasket American life and this is like a gated community there are no sidewalks in this community like this is not like a normal suburb and like that's the kind of thing where like well there it is unforgivable unforgivable that there is no exterior establishing shot of this town yes like they're not even in a town or a neighborhood they literally only have one block that they use for most of the filming right yes the neighborhood doesn't make any sense there are way too many uh scene fades that sort of compensate for like the inability to like visually end a scene Right, um, and that's why they do it all in the middle of the street because just the movie's not sure like where to go or what to do. Okay, let's let's change gears a little bit because I feel like we're being unnecessarily harsh to a movie that like may have its charm. Um, you've got to admit that the soundtrack, at least, like kicks a lot of ass. The Huey Lewis song when he's running is really got me pumped up. Talk about another, by the way, between William Hurt and Adam Brody, two people that look so weird when they're running. Um, <laughs> yeah, that's another, that's a running, uh, it's a running theme for them. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think, I mean, this is 2007. So you're, you're rocking some like, okay, go in there. Some rogue wave, some mates of state. Like that's a pretty, Indeed. it's a pretty good, like, the OC uh, soundtrack volume three or whatever, whatever this, whatever this movie's in conversation with. Um, It's sort of like a sad bastard Pandora of that era. Mm -hmm. I like it. Yeah. And I think like I was sort of saying earlier, I think the writing in places, like it's just such a weird, it hits like these weird beats i think this movie is like almost such a disaster that like it's almost fun to watch like the weird Kristen stewart like oh there was this thing where like we touched and like (laughs) and then parents got involved and the school found out but they were like kids or something and it's like oh we don't have to talk about that like what like what does that have to do with anything about this movie and, like, the father's affair, like, is something that, like, bounce around but, like, never really address. And then, like, really even the cancer, like, has no bearing on the script whatsoever mm-hmm. on the story. She, like, it gives her a reason to, like, go to the hospital and then, like, get his letter. That's the big climax. It's like, he writes her a meaningful letter. Mm-hmm. But there's just something, like, it's such a bad movie. <laughs> it's so bad. But I just... There's something so, like, amusing about it. I'll tell you what's amusing about it, if you'll permit me, is that it's a very Bolairdian movie. It's about, it is a very Bolairdian. you wear that sweatshirt and suit jacket number in college. Yep. Can I out you on, like, a, a like a incidental fantasy of, like, leaving, like, your nice job in, like, a coastal center and, like, going somewhere to, like, rediscover, like, something a little simpler, reconnect with humanity? Like, you want to do that, right? A hundred and ten percent. Every time you come visit me in Nebraska, right? Only to return to the city with a new, renewed zeal, <laughs> which is exactly what happens in this movie. Yeah, it's sort of a Garden State, like you know, sad, good-looking white guy, like figures out like what it all means, kind of thing. Absolutely, by making some questionable. I'm always looking decisions. for. I'm just I'm one of those guys, just a good-looking white guy, like just trying to figure out what it all means. So anything that could push me a little bit closer 
to a fundamental understanding. You may um, be white, but you gotta get rid of that soul patch before you make it back to before you crawl <laughs> back to good looking. Um, yeah, this movie is bad bad it is short it is not like (laughs) taxing on you but like there's i think it is easily bad bad the in fact and the thing that sealed it for me (laughs) is the character of eric the high school student who kirsten stewart eventually hooks up with who is only a device in the movie to alleviate the political discomfort with the fact that adam brody hooks up with mother and daughter because they can't be together so we have to have eric there or else it's like a very questionable movie and it still is anyway <laughs> yeah it is like a weird it's a weird it's just it's moral code is it's just a like a hair off yeah um i'm gonna give this like a bad like certainly like a bad bad but with like the asterisks of like it's worth watching once just because it's silly okay. you like you don't end up you don't feel gross after this movie you're just kind of like huh why did someone do that? That could have gone a lot better. Like what? what? Like that could have been a better movie, or like just not made at all. <laughs> and that title, "In the Land of Women," it's just—it's such a ponderous title. <laughs> it's so long, and it means it has no relation to the movie, like whatsoever. You know, like he—I mean, yes, like the three other main characters of the movie, Kristen Stewart, Meg Ryan, and Olympia Dukakis, like are most of this world but like they're not most of michigan (laughs) this is it's like like if uh he doesn't go to like a a women's only like it's they're not nuns like there's nothing that makes that that makes sense no it's like if someone was just like um i've got a pretty superfluous rom-com script in my hands is there any way we get like norman mailer to title this right doesn't make any sense that's the thing. I think the problem with these two Kasdan children is that they make movies that are more like movie trailers. Like, this movie is a trailer for, like, an independent movie that's, like, way weirder than this, like, run-of-the-mill, like, I'm Lawrence Kasdan's son, give me $10 million and a couple of actors who, like, need the work, and let's do something. That's a good point. I mean, you know, there are... They're both only like what, like forty or so. Like I know John Kasdan's working on the new Han Solo script, oh. um, and like Jake is having <laughs> having some success in TV. Like they could do cool stuff still. But well, I feel like I Jake Kasdan like- is way more of a visionary. Like Walk Hard is like that's that's a masterpiece. That's not true, but it's hilarious. What? I think that's a comedic masterpiece, Walk Hard. It's just like in an era where we, like every Oscar season, there was like a dumb musician biopic. Like the the life of Walk Hard is just so good. If you're going to come in here with that opinion, look out, man. Uh, uh, look out, man. <laughs> okay. I'm okay. But the point that I was trying to make is... Because they were raised around film and film writing and movies, like they became very aware of like the tropes and sort of like what it should feel like, but they're sort of missing the fundamentals that their father had. Like even New Girl, like has this sort of like self awareness of like what a sitcom does, Definitely. and it can it like plays with that. And so, whereas Jake has like good ideas of how to like postmodernly like be in this genre space of like, I mean, he's just basically making sitcoms or movie sitcoms or whatever. Mm-hmm. But he like gets it, and he gets how to do that in like a funny, lampoony sort of way. 
So find past episodes of Be Real Guys at berealguys.com on SoundCloud and iTunes. Uh, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Be Real Guys, real like two E's like a film reel. Uh, thank you as always for being with us. And Noah. Buddy? I'll talk to you later, man. <laughs> <laughs>